Okay, as I said in the bulletin, I'm going to speak on the importance of the examined life. So I'm going to start off with the summary statement at the end and see how I do building the case towards the summary end. So if you don't think of anything else or remember anything else, remember this. The Father makes the abstract mystery of our love, our faith, the repentance, and the condition of our heart easily understood, measured, assessed, and therefore growing through the results of exercising our spiritual gifts and looking at the concrete results referred to as good works, dividends, fruit, and the way that we walk. You got that? According to Socrates, an unexamined life is not worth living for a human being. We must examine and understand the universe that dwells within our own soul. God agrees, but he's more emphatic and more specific about it. God's prophet Haggai in Haggai 1.7, he said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider how you have fared. You have looked for much, and lo, it came to be little, and when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why was that, says the Lord of hosts? Because of my house that lies in ruins, while you busy yourselves each with his own house. Moses backs him up in Psalm 90. Our years have come to an end, like a sigh. The years of our life are three score and ten, four score with strength. Their span is but toil and trouble. They're soon gone and we fly away. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament, the third guy to pile on the pile. Ephesians 5, 15 through 17. Look carefully then how you have walked, not as unwise men but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Consider how you have fared. Teach us to number our days. Look carefully how you have walked. What aspects do we examine about our Christian life, about our walk? What do we consider to determine how we have fared and how we're doing? Funny you should ask. A lawyer asked Jesus the same question. In Luke 10, 25 through 28. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Pretty important question. He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus answered him, You have said, he said to him, You have answered right. Do this and you will live. The highest importance is to evaluate the things I must do to inherit eternal life. Love is required. It's one thing that we must do to inherit eternal life. But how do we assess this? How do we measure or evaluate the abstract concept of love? The Apostle John tells us, the other great John 3.16, 1 John 3.16. How do we know love? We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? 
Little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in deed and in truth. Staying with John in his gospel, John 15, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. And finally, in 1 John 5, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. They're not works of the law, they're good works, things that we love to do. So what do we look at to look carefully then how we have loved? John tells us in Revelation 2 and 3. I'm going to spend a little time, you want to flip to, I'm not going to have any verses up here. Revelation 1, 2, and 3. Revelation 2 and 3, when Jesus comes back, Revelation 1, he appears to John. He assesses the seven churches in, in chapters 2 and 3. The people of God, the churches, us. His first words to five of the churches are, I know your works. Five times he says it. Revelation 2.2, 2, 2.19, and 3.15. Five of the seven churches. I know your works. He holds men accountable for their love. He evaluates a man's love by his works. Cheerfully keeping commandments, laying down their life, in deed and in truth. Lay down your life. To love is a priority call. Best definition I ever got came from Lieutenant Commander Bob Lewis. Flew F-8 Crusaders off the deck of the Intrepid. Sounds like a Marine. This is his definition of love. Love is a determined act of the will that seeks the other's highest good. What you love must determine how you act. It must. Cannot separate love from your priorities, from your actions, from your good works. Question is, has what we love, love for the Father and love for our neighbor, determined our priorities in decision-making and taking action? We assess our love by our actions, by our works, just as Jesus did and will do when he returns. So what else is on the list? What other aspects of our Christian life affect inheriting eternal life? What other things are pinions of the face? Opinion is... A bird's wings, the pinion feathers, are the feathers that allow it to fly. If you want to keep it from flying, just cut off the feathers. That bird can't fly anymore. The pinions of the faith. So in those same chapters of Revelation, Jesus identifies of those same churches, things I have against them, things I have against you. And he says in Revelation 2, 4, and 5, speaking to one church, I will remove you unless you repent. Five times. Repentance is required. It's on the list. Directly affects inheriting eternal life. Matthew 3.2, Matthew 4.7, Matthew 3.2, John the Baptist. First words out of his mouth for his ministry announcing Jesus were what? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. One chapter later, Jesus has been baptized by John. The Spirit descends upon him. The first words of Jesus' ministry in Matthew 4, 17 are what? Identical. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So what does repentance look like? P. 
Peter's reaction to the cock crowing after he had denied any knowledge of Jesus is described in all four Gospels. My favorite one is Luke 22, 61 to 62. The cock crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Imagine that. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the cock crows today, you will deny me three times. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. Repentance in action. Repentance is required to restore the relationship between a holy God and sinful man. It says in Psalm 712 that we read. Through grace and grace alone, God has provided a way back. But man must decide to respond to the Father's grace. Zechariah, in his book, Zechariah the Prophet, chapter 1, verse 3, he summarizes it as good as you can. Return to me, declares the Lord Almighty, and then I will return to you. Man must initiate the repentance forgiveness process, established by God, by grace alone, but it must be initiated by a man. I love to go to Luke 15, the parables in Luke 15 about repentance. You all know the parables in Luke 15. Three parables, back to back to back. Lost sheep, lost coin, lost son. The shepherd goes after the sheep. The owner goes after the coin. But the father doesn't go after the son. Why doesn't he go after the son? Let me read you the son's words. Luke 15, starting at verse 17. First verse, very important. This is speaking about the son, the prodigal son. But when he came to himself, he thought about what he had done. How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough not to end to spare, but I perish here in hunger. I will arise, go to my father. I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. But when the father who wouldn't go after him saw him coming, what did he do? He ran to meet him. He ran to meet him. Do you return to him, seek the father's face in repentance, begging for forgiveness on a daily basis? I sin daily. A weeping heart full of unworthiness and repentance is required. Moses would add, a wise and teachable spirit would ask to be shown the sin in our life. So no sin would escape the measure. So what else is on the list? Inheriting eternal life. Jesus directs our steps in answering what else is on the list in Revelation 2.19. He's speaking to these churches in 2.19. He starts out just as we said, I know your works. And then he describes those works. Your love and faith and service and patient endurance and that your latter works exceed the first. Revelation 2.19. Faith is on the list. It's required. Famous verse, Genesis 15, 6, Abraham believed God and was reckoned to him as righteousness. Quoted in Romans 4, 3 and James 2, 23, that same verse about faith. I like Romans 12, 1 through 6. 
I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual form of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that you may prove what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I bid every one among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, just like we were asked to do in the beginning by those prophets. Think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith which God has assigned him. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. The gift of faith and spiritual gifts are discussed simultaneously. They are closely related. Different gifts given in different amounts to different people according to grace. Faith is a gift. Spiritual gifts are gifts. But they must be used, put to work, if we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. What you believe must determine how you act. You cannot separate faith from works. Can't do it. Using scripture to interpret scripture, James makes and reinforces the point three times in 12 verses. James 2, 14 through 26. He says it three times. Faith without works is dead. Drives Christians crazy. Jody Van Horn's opinion of that is faith and works are inseparably intertwined. You can't separate them. Do we understand our faith and how to determine how it is fared? We assess our faith by our works, like he does every other thing in Revelations. Just as God has done with Abraham. Remember the story of Abraham, the verse I just described. I love Genesis 22, 9 through 12. It was only after Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son Isaac that the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. What were his next words? Now I know, now I know by your actions that you fear God because you have not withheld me from me your son, your only son. James explains it the same way in James 2.22. You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was perfected by works. Just as Jesus does and he will do in Revelation 2 and 3, we've thought through the use of faith with sober judgment. Have we done that? Resulting in what we believe, having determined our decisions, actions, and words. Have we looked back carefully then to how we have walked by faith? Was our walk wise or unwise? Did our works of faith make the most of the time? Based on the results of our faith-based decisions, actions, and words, have we gained a clearer understanding of what the will of the Lord is for our growing faith? These are the questions on our list here at the first year, first day of the first year. And thereby strengthened and grown our faith through our works, as Jesus pointed out in Revelation 2.19. That verse in Revelation 2.19, the last things on his list, your latter works should exceed the first. Growth is part of the equation. James 2 and Genesis 22, they agree. We assess our faith by our deeds, good works, decisions. 
But God makes the assessment easy for us. He measures the abstract by using the concrete. He evaluates love and faith and repentance, abstract context by works, by actions, by things we can see. The same way he will evaluate the churches so there can be no questioning his conclusion. What else is on the list? Revelation 2.19 talks about service. For me, Matthew 25 does the best job of that. Talks about fruit and dividends, our spiritual gifts. Matthew 25 also has three parables back to back to back. First parable is about being prepared, the bridesmaids being prepared. You got to be prepared. And then he goes right into two examples, in my opinion, of being prepared. The next one is the, the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, 14 through 30. And the last one is having a heart for the poor, the sick, and the hungry, evident in our actions. Matthew 25, 31 to 46. The parable of the talents. We're all familiar with it. I won't read the whole thing. When a man going on a journey called his servants and trusted to them his property, gave one five talents, another two, another one, according to their ability, and he went away. The one who received five talents went at once, traded it with them, made five more. And also he who had two made two more. But the one who received one talent went and dug it in the ground and hid his master's money. Big verse is the next verse, verse 19. Now after a long time... The master of those servants came and settled the account with them. Settled the account. I gave you five. How'd it go? His master said to the first two, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. But to the other, he said, you wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I would not sow, gather where I have not winter, then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. Dividends is required on the gifts. Dividends are required. Also, fruit. Many parables on the, the fruit from the trees. I like Luke 13. And he told this parable, a man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, lo, these three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answers, well, wait, give me a minute. In fact, give me a year till I dig around it and put on manure. And if it bears fruit next year, well and good. And if not, you can cut it down. Matthew does it a little better. Matthew 3, 7 to 10, and Matthew 7, same parables. Bear fruit that befits repentance. Repentance has to have fruit. Huh. And John the Baptist says, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and throw it into the fire. Matthew's a little more serious about this. We previously established the gift of faith and spiritual gifts were discussed simultaneously because they're so closely related. Both are gifts given in different amounts to different people according to grace, but they've got to be used. 
But love like faith is equally inseparable from spiritual gifts. And we see that bond, Paul's teaching in his first letter to the Corinthians. I think we all are real familiar with 1 Corinthians 13. It's all about love. What comes before it? What's 1 Corinthians chapter 12 all about? I'll read you the first verse from chapter 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, I do not want you to be uninformed. Or the last verse. Earnestly desire the higher gifts and I will show you a still more excellent way. And he gets into 13. He goes from gifts right to love. And then 14 verse 1, he summarizes the whole mess for us. 1 Corinthians 14, 1. Make love your aim and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Can't separate them. Wow, we measure repentance by fruit. We know believers by their fruit. Just like we evaluate love and faith and works by good works, good works, dividends, fruit. They're all synonymous words. Good works, fruit, dividends, they're all the same. They're measurement and evaluation tools. Concrete measurements of abstract concepts. Faith and love and spiritual gifts are inseparably intertwined, as I said. We assess all three by our decisions, actions, and works, referred to as dividends and fruit. So have what we love and what we believe determined our decisions toward the use and application of our spiritual gifts? Have the dividends, the fruit, the good works from those decisions caused his response to be well done, good and faithful servant, or the opposite. So what else is on the list? Things that are required. You hear the words, by your endurance you will be, we will be saved, shows up at least four or five times in the, in the parables. By your endurance you will be saved. But they're all about written concerning the final days. I can give you the verses where they come from, but he's talking about the final days when he talks about endurance in those verses when those words showed up, by your endurance you will be saved. But the principle of endurance is, is a requirement for inheriting eternal life for all saints. It's on that list in Revelations. Regardless of the time slot that you occupy in history of the church, it's required. Endurance. The work of enduring is required to accomplish, in Philippians 2, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For God is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Working out your own salvation is the work required to display and verify and grow all of the things we talked about that are on the list. Love, repentance, faith, fruit, endurance. The verses I love on the concept of endurance, the one I just talked about, Philippians 2.12, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Revelations 2.19, the one that I've mentioned already. I know your works, your love and faith, service, patient endurance, and your latter works exceeding the first. But my favorite of them all, Luke 22, 28 to 30, about endurance. Jesus speaking to the disciples. I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones 
judging the 12 tribes of Israel because what's the reason that Jesus has them assigned to a kingdom that they may eat and drink at my table and sit on the throne? Because you are those who have continued with me in my trials. Wow. Endurance is required. Sticking it out. Okay, see if I can bring this plane in for a landing here. How many know what God's calling is on your life and what your gifts and strengths are? It's pivotal. Because he will come back after a long time, unexpected, and settle your account. The account regarding his gifts to you of faith and spiritual gifts require dividends, fruit, and good works. The Father ties those Opinions of the church together, the things we talked about, faith, works, love, repentance, redurance. He ties them together to make it easy for us to assess and measure if we know love like his love. Are we growing our faith toward faithfulness like his? So we can say like the angel of the Lord did to Abraham in Genesis 22, or how he talks to the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3. Now I know. I know your works. Because of that, I know your faith and your love and your heart for repentance by the fruit and dividends from your gifts. Because of that principle, we now know better our faith, our love, our decisions, actions, and words by a broken heart seeking repentance, by our deciding to practice perseverance. It's prudent and wise to settle our account personally and regularly by considering how we have fared. Much better that we routinely answer these questions on our own time, now. So we, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is for our life, so that we are always prepared for his return and excited to show him what's in our account. The admonition of those prophets, they resonate with Hebrews and Revelation, making it clear that there is no such thing as treading water in the kingdom of God. You are either moving forward or falling back. So we need to ask, did the kingdom take a step forward due to my love for God and neighbor, my faith, my gifts, my perseverance over the last year? Did I ask to be shown the sin in my life and actively seek his face in repentance? So I'll give you my punchline one more time here. The Father makes the abstract mystery of our love, our faith, repentance, the condition of our heart, easily understood, measured, assessed, and therefore growing through the results of exercising our spiritual gifts and looking at the concrete results, referred to as good works, dividends, or fruit. We measure the abstract with the concrete. What genius figured that out, the God of the universe. So, going back to Socrates, I got my own little spin on Socrates' words. Jody Van Horn's version is, an unexamined life is foolish and dangerous living for a Christian. We must examine, understand, and leverage the gifts the Father has wrapped around our soul because the days are numbered by him, unknown, by us. 
when the king will return to settle our account with him.